Last week, we started our Lenten series called Moses and the Footsteps of the Reluctant Prophet. We're basically following along this book by Adam Adam Hamilton. You're welcome to get a copy for yourself and follow along. There's a lot more in the book than what we can actually present in worship, and so I encourage you uh, to do so. Moses' story uh, probably resonates with all of us at some point on the way, so I want to encourage you to avail yourself to the story of Moses found in Exodus and uh, as told and, and outlined in this book by Adam Hamilton. Last week we talked about the birth of Moses and how Moses was born into a time of uh, turmoil and anxiety in Egypt, that Pharaoh had, was increasingly afraid of the numbers of the Hebrew people and their strength. And so uh, Pharaoh had ordered that all baby boys, Hebrew baby boys born, be killed. In an acts of love, choosing love, the highest good of the other person, over fear, Moses' life was spared by Shipra and Pua, who were Hebrew midwives, and by Moses' mother and sister, and even by Pharaoh's daughter, choosing love over fear. So Moses was, was born and into that space and grew up in the house of Pharaoh. And tonight we look at a couple of defining moments that really uh, tell a huge part of the story of who Moses is and what Moses was called to do. We all have defining moments in our lives. If you look at the course of your life, um, sometimes depending on maybe you've taken a class where they've asked you to draw a timeline of your life and put significant events on that timeline, those are defining moments for you. Sometimes they come in very positive ways of joy and and celebration, and sometimes they come in not so positive ways and heartache and and disappointment. Sometimes those defining moments happen as a result of choices that we make, and sometimes they happen as a result of choices that other people make that influence us. Either way, those defining moments have a lasting impact on our lives. In August of 1985, I had two such defining moments really within the course of a couple of days. I had been on a mission trip with my youth group. We had gone to Mexico to put roofs on churches, and it was really my first activity, my first group activity with this youth group. We were new to that church, and as a teenager, I was trying to figure out who the people were and where I was going to fit in, and the mission trip was a great opportunity to find a place of belonging. We'd been on this mission trip, and at the end of the trip, we had a closing worship service in which there was a foot-washing opportunity. I'd never experienced that before, and what I experienced that night was one of my youth workers, one of the adult workers, washing my feet. And in that moment, it was holy ground for me. I knew that 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 would be significant for my life. I really didn't know at the time how. That would be significant, but it was a defining moment for me. A couple days later, when I got home from that trip, I got home only to find out that my father had moved out of our house while I was in Mexico. So from the mountaintop to the deepest valley in record time, both of those moments defining a huge piece of who I am, who I was then and and who God continues to call me to be, we all have defining moments. I wonder what yours are. And how have they 
set the course for you? Or how have they been moments of direction for you? As we consider Moses' defining moments, I invite you to consider your own. Let's pray. Loving God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our ears today to receive, to hear your word to us, that it would take hold of us and transform us. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I want to encourage you this coming week to read in Exodus, read chapters 2 through 4. That kind of is going to give you the story of where we are tonight. This is one of those stories that really you could read the whole text, and, and that could be the sermon, that could be the whole event, but there's a couple of things we want to point out. Uh, so read Exodus 2 to 4 this coming week so you kind of know where we are. Um, but the first passage I want to read tonight is actually out of Acts chapter 7. This is um, Stephen has uh, been arrested and falsely accused of blasphemy and is basically standing trial before the Sanhedrin and asked to give an account of, of what he's been saying and what he's been doing. And in doing so, he gives a history lesson, basically, of, of who the people of God are. So this happens, this speech happens just before uh, he's actually stoned uh, to death. And, and so consider his courage in telling the story, reminding those listening Part of the story was about Moses. So Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his relatives, the Israelites. When he saw one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his kinsfolk would understand that God through him was rescuing them, but they did not understand. The next day, he came to some of them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor pushed Moses aside, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When he heard this, Moses fled and became a resident alien in the land of Midian, there he became the father of two sons. So Moses grows up in Pharaoh's house in a position of power and knowledge and wisdom and uh, then kills an Egyptian man, thinking that perhaps no one else had seen it, but in fact, his own people had witnessed that. And so Moses uh, has to flee. Pharaoh finds out and has plans to, to kill Moses, and uh, Moses has to, has to run away. Here's a, a map similar to what we showed you last week. This is a little bit um, bigger. Here's the, the land of Goshen, right? Here's Egypt over here. We talked about uh, the Thebes down here being the capital at the time of Moses. Here's Memphis. And so all of today's journey is taking place uh, in this area, likely somewhere up here that he killed the Egyptian and then was forced to flee and ended up down here in the central, south-central Sinai um, in the desert area, ruled perhaps by the Midianites in this area. So consider this is where it's taking place today. Up here is uh, Canaan and, and Jerusalem. Here's Jericho. So to kind of just give you an idea of where we are today, we are in this area 
and south-central Sinai, where Moses has had to flee to find safety. In Exodus 2, Pharaoh heard of this. He sought to kill Moses. Moses fled from Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. The priests of Midian had seven daughters. They came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. But some shepherds came and drove them away. Moses got up and came to their defense and watered their flock. And so here again, Moses, uh, you know, part of the, his encounter with the Egyptian that he killed was out of his compassion for his Hebrew brothers that were in, being oppressed, being enslaved. And, and in that instance, he acted um, in a way that caused him to have to leave. His compassion here um, comes to the defense of, of these women who are being maybe harassed by these shepherds that came by to drive them away from getting water. So these women are uh, the daughters of the priests of Midian, and, and they go and tell their father what has happened. And he says, well, invite this man to dinner so that I can, I can break bread with him. We can break bread with him. Understanding that breaking bread then was not just an, a, a meal shared, but really an agreement into a relationship in which I'm going to uh, look out for your best interests and you're going to look out for my best interests. We're not going to be uh, enemies. We're not going to be strangers. We're going to be family. And so Moses does so and marries Zipporah, one of the priest's seven daughters, and spends the next 40 years in that space as a shepherd. Moses goes from being the prince of Egypt to being a a fugitive from the law to being a nomadic shepherd from the highest position he could possibly have to the lowest position in society. Clearly, this is a defining moment for Moses that happened, it seems, fairly quickly. Moses, I'm sure, didn't go out that day and kill the Egyptian with that as his plan, right? But one choice, one action, one moment, one decision, and everything changes. That's often how defining moments are for us. Sometimes it's things that we do, sometimes choices that we make, sometimes it's things that happen to us. It could be a divorce or an illness. It could be that you lose a job or you lose financial resources. It could be um, a fight or a brawl or breaking the law and ending up in prison. It could be the death of a loved one. It could be any life-altering event. But you don't wake up that morning planning for that to happen, and, and then it does. And nothing is ever quite the same. That changes everything. Defining moments often move us then into a time of uncertainty. We're no longer where we were, but we're not yet sure where we're supposed to be. A season of wilderness, perhaps, of wandering around trying to decide who it is that you really are and, and what your life is going to be. That, that moment and that decision, that life-changing decision for Moses that causes him to flee, leads him to another defining moment at the well when he meets the priest's daughters and when he then is invited into their family. He gets a new family and a new opportunity to live his life. He is uh, 
I'm sure, wondering as he wanders in the wilderness about what God is going to do with him. You can imagine, perhaps, his thoughts as he wanders along, herding sheep, looking for places for them to have food and water, thinking that surely this isn't really the life that God had intended for him. Sometimes that happens to us, too. When my parents, when my dad had moved out and and they later divorced, that wasn't anything I had planned to happen. And yet that's what my reality was. When things happen in our our lives, for whatever reason, whatever life-altering reason and event it might be, there really is some truth to us being able to choose whether we live in bitterness and resentment about something that, even if it was within our control, it can't be undone. Or choosing to figure out what that means for now and how to live into God's love and grace now from that time. And surely it is that that God used that time in the wilderness for Moses in a way that he couldn't have predicted. Most of the time when we enter into that in-between times in our lives, we can't predict what God is going to do in us or through us or for us. But God surely used that time in the wilderness in Moses as much as he used his time as the prince of Egypt. Adam Hamilton writes, During the first 40 years of Moses' life, he learned leadership, philosophy, law, culture, and religion as the prince in Egypt. The next 40 years in the wilderness, he learned humility, perseverance, self-discipline, faith, character, and how to listen for the voice of God. And both of those seasons would be invaluable to him for what would be next. I suspect you know that feeling of being in between times, in between how things were and how things will be, in that season perhaps of unsettling or discontent or or wilderness. You no longer fit where you were, but you don't quite have a landing place yet. And these times, these in-between times, it's tempting for us to give up. It's tempting for us to, to believe that God is incapable of redeeming such moments, that we've blown it, or that our life has fallen apart, and that surely God has left us to our own devices, surely God has abandoned us. And in all of the feelings around those events, the grief and the anger, the bitterness, the resentment, the hurts, the embarrassment, maybe the the disbelief of what has happened— we may begin to wonder if the in-between time is all there really is. If that's where we will be for the rest of our lives. I want to invite you, if that's where you are, to lean in to God's presence with you. To lean in to God's promise throughout Scripture God's promise made known to us specifically in Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit that God is not finished with your story. God is not finished with your life. Lean in to, to God's presence with you and stand on that promise 
that God still has a purpose and a plan for you, that God sees us and hears us and knows our circumstances and still has a purpose for us. We are the ones who are redeemed, who are called, who are set apart, called to be part of the covenant, even that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will bless you to be a blessing. That's still the covenant. No matter what our life looks like, that's still the covenant God makes with us. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will bless you to be a blessing. It seems that God often is the most profoundly at work in us, if we're willing, in those seasons of wilderness. And for Moses, those 40 years of of wandering in the wilderness were really preparation for him for what would be next, which would certainly be marked by another defining moment. The end of Exodus 2, we read, after a long time, the king of Egypt died. So the Pharaoh who had um, heard about what Moses had done and had um, been look, looking for him. Um, he died, and the Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out. Out of the slavery, their cry for help rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God looked upon the Israelites, and God took notice of them. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt." Can you imagine Moses at this point? You know, he's going about his business thinking that this is just how his life is going to be. He sees this bush burning and and yet not consumed, and so he stops to to look at it and enters into this holy space of God's presence and is in uh, what I imagine this sense of awe and wonder and, and, and attentiveness, right? And then at the end of this exchange, so come, I'll send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I can imagine Moses jerking his head up at that point, saying, uh, what? You know, maybe looking around to see if anybody's pranking him, right? Is there, is there some, what is happening here? 
You can imagine this sense of disbelief, right? This, this holy moment that gets translated into a very um, hands-on, enfleshed action that God invites Moses to participate in. And Moses immediately begins his list of excuses. I want you to consider whether or not these resonate with you in any way. I've highlighted uh, some key phrases here to help us look at uh, how Moses responds. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. Have you ever said to God, wait, who am I that that I should do this? Right? Why would you choose me? And God simply says, I will be with you. Right? From the get-go, God's trying to help Moses understand, I want to use you, but it's really me who will be doing the work. I want you to cooperate with, with what I'm asking you to do, but it's my power, my presence. So then Moses, but Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So in other words, okay, you told me, who am I? And now, well, who are you exactly? God said to Moses, I am who I am, which can translate, I will be who I will be. And this is about the essence of God, the very being of God. Um, This is translated Yahweh, uh, the, the name for God. We've talked about that before. God said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, thus you shall say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my title for all generations. So Moses has said, but who am I? And God responds. And Moses says, but who are you? And God responds. Then Moses answered, but suppose they do not believe me or listen to me, but say the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And and he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw the staff on the ground. It became a snake, and Moses drew back from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and seize it by the tail. So he reached out his hand and grasped it, and it became a staff in his hand, so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So Moses then says, but I'm, I'm not equipped. I don't know. Uh, I don't have any credibility with these people. Remember, God, I killed one of the, the Egyptians, right? I don't have any credibility with them anymore. God says, it, it's my credibility that you're taking with you, right? So after the staff, he has Moses put his hand in his cloak, and he comes out, and it has leprosy, and it puts his hand back in, and it comes out, and it's restored. And then he says, when you're there, you take water from the now a river and throw it on dry ground, it will become blood. God gives him signs to perform for the people to help them understand who God is and that God has sent Moses. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor even now that you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. 
Then the Lord said to him, who gives speech to mortals? Who makes them mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will be your mouth and teach you what you are to speak. It makes me wonder, we we have these verses all in a row, but it kind of makes me wonder if there's a a pregnant pause in between each of these episodes, right? Is Moses like trying to gear up for his next excuse, right? Every time God responds with, it's my power, it's my credibility, it's my purpose, Moses has a response. I've never been eloquent, Lord. I don't know how to do this. But he said, oh, Lord, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. I kind of imagine, now that I have children, I kind of imagine this eye roll that God probably uh, offered at that point and uh, probably a deep cleansing breath, right? I'm not going to kill you today, right? Because I've chosen you and I have something for you to do. But I can imagine that sense of frustration. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, What of your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know that he can speak fluently. Even now he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, his heart will be glad. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what you shall do." Oh, Moses, bless his heart. God wants to do this amazing thing through him. And Moses offers every excuse in the book as to why he can't do it. Do you ever offer excuses to God when when God asks you to do something? It might not be a burning bush. It might be a two-by-four, as Paul alluded to. Or it might be the gentle whisper or the persistent whisper of the Holy Spirit, nudging you, calling you, leading you, asking you, inviting you. Do you ever put up these excuses as to why you can't do it? Most of the time when we say we can't do something for God, it really isn't can't. It really is won't. God chooses us. God sees us. God knows us. God knows our defining moments. Moses was so well equipped. He had spent 40 years as the prince of Egypt. He knew the culture, the religion, the law, all of those things. He'd spent 40 years in the wilderness learning humility and perseverance and what it means to be in that in-between space. God wants to use Moses and is determined that that's what will happen. Defining moments in Moses' life, killing the Egyptian, being in the wilderness, encountering God in the burning bush. God wants Moses and God wants us. Moses' story is so hopeful for us, really, because no matter what our past holds, God hasn't forgotten us. God sees and hears and knows. And no matter what we've done or what's been done to us, God can redeem and use those very things. No matter who we are or what our age is, Moses was 80 at this point. Just saying, Moses was 80 at this point. God still has work for us to do, to be instruments of hope and love 
and deliverance to be blessed in order to be a blessing, especially for those who are still living as oppressed, enslaved people. Oppression and and slavery might not look the same to us today as it did in Moses' day, but many of us know people who live in space and and lives of of oppression and slavery to fear and sin and and death. A a blessed to be a blessing, especially to those who are among the least and the last and the lost. God's God's eye and God's heart was for these Hebrew people who were uh, being mistreated who are marginalized in the space, in that society where they were. God invites us who are blessed to know God, to be a blessing to those who are longing to know God. Those two moments in 1985 changed the trajectory of my life forever. Foot washing has been a repeated thing. It keeps showing up in my life. I finally started paying attention to it. Reminding me that I am to be a servant, that I serve God by serving others, and that my posture is to be one of humility. Whoever God puts in front of me that, that I can imagine <laughs> washing their feet and serving them. Now, don't be worried. I'm not going to come take your shoes off and socks off and wash your actual feet. Sorry, Barry. Um, <laughs> But that sense of serving, that sense of it not being about me, I don't always get it right. And usually when I don't get it right, God reminds me (laughs) of having my own feet washed. My parents' separation and and later uh, their divorce gave me a heart for broken hearts, a heart for broken lives, a, a heart for those who are trying to figure out what it means to live in the messiness of life and of relationships, a heart for the way that brokenness influences our journey. Now, at at the time that that was happening, we had just come out of a a church, out of a denomination in which uh, divorce really was taboo. And it wasn't something my family ever had talked about. It wasn't something that we could have uh, had as part of our family and still been a family. And so, That piece of it for me gives me a heart for people who are broken and within systems who won't even acknowledge their brokenness. A heart for the way that God's love and mercy and grace restore life and hope. No matter where we've been, no matter what we have done. I I suppose Moses could have said no. I mean, I suppose there could have been more written and God could have finally thrown up his hands and said, fine, But Moses would have missed out on what God was doing. The truth is, none of this was really about Moses. It was about God's power and God's desire to use Moses and Moses' life to rescue God's people, to deliver God's people into freedom, into life, to give them hope. When God calls us to do something, it's never on our own power. And it's really rarely out of our own desire, but by God's power and God's desire in us and through us. I wonder where this story resonates for you. I wonder what your defining moments are. 
I wonder if you can identify your defining moments. Maybe you're right now in an in-between place. I invite you to hold on in the midst of that. Not only hold on to God's presence with you, but for God's promise for you through that. Maybe you are at a point where uh, God keeps following you with a burning bush and you keep running the other way. I don't think God's going away if that's the case for you. So I would encourage you to stop and pay attention to what God's calling you to do, what God's empowering you to do. The story of Moses is our story. And I wonder where you are today in the story. Let us pray. Loving God, so often uh, our lives are confusing to us and uncertain to us and things happen, sometimes by our own doing, sometimes happen to us and we don't really understand where you are or what your purpose is. But today we come and we offer ourselves once again to your presence and to your power, to your promise, believing that you see us and you hear us and you know us and that you have a purpose for us in your kingdom. Help us take time, especially this Lenten season, to just stop and pay attention to where you are, to your love for us and your invitation for us to love one another. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.